0: Once you start to know what the first order sensations are in your body and you can feel the flow moving through you, now you have access to this, your heart, your gut, pelvis. Pelvis is the engine of the body. Okay, I got something I'm really inspired to do. Am I dreaming big enough? Is it? Am I being grandiose? The next conversation I always want to have is I want to go to my pelvis and say, hmm, how's the engine doing? Am I a little depleted and I really need to dial it back or slow it down? Or is the engine of my body going... Yeah, let's go.
1: Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today, my guest is Suzanne Scurlock-Durana, one of the world's leading authorities on conscious awareness. A longtime leader at Esalen, Suzanne is a craniosacral therapist and an instructor with the Upledger Institute. She created the comprehensive Healing from the Core curriculum, empowering her audience with practical tools that enable you to experience joy in each moment without burning out. Suzanne is about using full-body presence to improve every aspect of your life, from your health and well-being, to your relationships, your career, your creativity, and your financial health. Let's get grounded with Suzanne Skurlock-Durana.
0: What, what is your work? What do you do, and what does that look like? This is a really fun question for me because there's so many different, I think of it almost like a prism and there are different facets to what I do. Where I began was in craniosacral therapy 35 years ago. And craniosacral therapy is a very light touch, hands-on work. It's done with people, um, clothing on, stretchy clothing, but clothing on, where we are mobilizing the spine and bones of the cranium to maximize or optimize the way your central nervous system functions. So there is teeny tiny like millimeters of movement in the cranium and a lot more movement than that in the spine that can get restricted and jammed from all different kinds of things from infections and drug reactions and falls and accidents and birth can actually cause different kinds of restrictions in people's spines and uh, craniums. So that work was originated by an osteopath that I learned directly from Dr. John Upledger at the Upledger Institute. And he trained me 35 years ago. I've been teaching for him for the last 32 years. He just died. He died about six years ago. But the Institute continues and they they teach hundreds and hundreds of classes all over the world. So That work, though, is, for me, that's the seminal piece that everything else revolves around because it's a work where you listen to the body so incredibly respectfully Mm. and reverently. It's very, sometimes you might be deep in the body, but most of the time you're just meeting the tissue and listening and translating what's going wrong in someone's system so you can help it to self-correct and bring it back into optimal function. Okay. So it's deeply relaxing, often. It can be incredibly opening for people who have had trauma because it really is a lovely avenue for helping people release trauma, um, PTSD. It's very, very helpful for any kind of... Um, problem in the cranium itself. Mm. So people who have headaches, migraines, concussions, um, they've taken falls have had really hard orthodontic work done that has really left them with headaches or discomfort, all of those kinds of things we see a lot and we work with it a lot. Then the spine is you know, it's like the extension of the brain, the spinal cord. So anything along that spinal cord, and then from there, the central nerve you know your your brain and your spinal cord are what innervate or give life mm. to the whole rest of your body yeah so i might be working on somebody's pinky and it r- just radiates right back up into the cranium in ways that just sound like outer space or something but they really it's it's quite quite amazing dr upledger used to tell us the story it was actually quite a famous story he treated an olympic athlete she was a diver And she was having um, dizziness. Now, obviously, you cannot be an Olympic diver and be dizzy. And people had been trying to treat her with drugs. And physical therapists had been trying to do stuff to her neck and her her upper back. Well, when Upledger put his hands on and really started listening to her system the way that we are taught to do, he realized that the restriction that was actually causing the problem was in her left knee some kind of a fall that she had had unrelated to her diving at all. And because the dizziness didn't start right away, they hadn't connected the two dots. Well, within a series of treatments, all of her dizziness was gone when he released the restriction in, and the trauma in the knee, okay. and she was back to diving. So I just tell that story because things that are very far afield in the body— Affect other things in other areas because of the fascia, the fluids, the bones, the way everything connects, and be, as cranial therapists, we're trained to listen so closely and carefully to the system. So it's really it's very very lovely, and that's a. I have studied many other bodywork systems, yeah. and I have always come back to the cranial, and it's why I continue to teach it thirty-two years later. Right, that's.
1: At what point did you kind of develop your system, which is, is it mm-hmm. healing from the core?
0: Healing from the core. So about two or three years in to teaching cranial, I started to notice that my students were having trouble. That It's not easy to feel at the level we teach people to palpate. It's it's challenging. And I was noticing in my beginning level students that this cranial rhythm just wasn't coming to them and, and and yet, I something I knew intuitively helped me to feel it, yeah. and I began to look at, well, what was I doing yeah. that other people weren't doing? And I realized I had taken metaphysical training for a decade, I had studied shamanic work, I had taken Qigong and Tai Chi, I'd had a daily yoga practice from the age of 17 to the age of 34. So, I mean, I had many different traditions about energy mm-hmm. in my back pocket, mm-hmm. And I began to realize that I intuitively knew how to ground myself, how to rest back in my own body, and how to really be present with someone, not taking their stuff on, but really just very present. And when I did that, cranial was easy. Mm. And so I began to start to teach my students these skill sets about grounding about being present about having a healthy boundary and they're I mean they just blossomed. The people that couldn't feel the cranial rhythm were suddenly feeling the cranial rhythm. People that were having a hard time as they went on into the upper levels to feel some of the more subtle skills like arcing or vectors suddenly there they were present and they were able to feel the field of the person on the table in front of them and take it all in with a lot more grace and ease and without questioning themselves. So that was kind of exciting. So I first began just a, I I started sticking these little skill sets into my cranial one, cranial two classes, but about six or eight years in, you know, I said to Upledger, I would like to put together a three day class just on this skill set for presence. And it was funny because that year he went at the teacher's meeting and he said, do we need this thing about presence? Now you have to understand, by the way, the reason he would be asking, do we need this presence thing? Dr. John had, as we used to affectionately call Dr. Upledger, Dr. John had this presence that he just came into the world with. So teach people presence? What? What's that? Why would you need to do that, right? So he he was standing in front of all the instructors and I was there and he goes, do you guys think this is this is an important thing to add? And, and three-quarters of the hands went up. The instructors, the other st- instructors were saying, oh, for Pete's sake, yeah. And so it first began just as a little three-day class on the side yes. of, of the outside of the cranial curriculum. People could take it if they wanted to. People could take it if they were stuck. People, But it wasn't really inside the system yet. And then I just began to grow it from there. We, you know, we now have seven levels in the healing from the core curriculum. I teach about advanced energy dynamics, Mm -hmm. where I teach people to recognize their own unique energy signature and how that affects what they do and the number of people that will be attracted to come work with them, how they can grow it. There's one where I have taken a lot of the work, the cutting edge work on trauma and put different techniques in so it's called trauma recovery to ecstasy we have a new year retreat that goes in there for setting sacred intentions that we do in Sedona every year so there's lots that curriculum just kind of blossomed over here on the side not in the cranial curriculum but in the International Alliance of Healthcare Educators.
1: Yeah. Is it the kind of thing that if you begin to deepen your ability to to have presence, then it, it it does sort of blossom and different things come in unexpectedly?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, my original audience was cranial therapists. What began to happen pretty quickly though, was that I began to see, it was called full body presence, grounding in healthy boundaries. And I began to see that other people were coming in the door to these classes. Managers, consultants, psychotherapists, coaches, people that didn't touch for a living were coming in the door and saying, this is, this stuff you're doing, this is really, really helpful for us too. So don't, you know, don't just be marketing to therapists. But my, they were my homies. You know, that was my audience to begin with. So that's where that began. Right now, I'm just finishing up a month here at Esalen where I've been teaching the present skills from that work in the um, down the avenue of leadership coaching. So I spent a whole month talking about leadership and presence and how to grow their presence because no matter what field you're in as a leader, your presence is about ninety percent of whether you're going to be successful. Wow! Oh, seriously, that's also true in cranial, by the way.
1: What about your path to, to presence? I'm I'm curious. I've I've read your book, Full Body Presence, and I know that you you spoke in spoken it about. Your father was a preacher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could could speak about the energetic modeling that you that you saw in
0: him. Yeah. Yeah. So I did grow up on the front pew of a. Southern Baptist Church, I just kind of there I was. But you know, what my dad gave me is that I don't have any fear when I get up in front of a room, Mm -hmm. because I would watch him every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, that's the person I want to, I want to be like, because he was, he was a very kind man. He was a very gentle man. And he was very, very charismatic speaker. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of fun that, that, that role modeling was there for me, and that he encouraged me to, be who I am, do what I do and, and to, to grow in when I began to do the healing from the core work and I showed it to him, you know, he said, um, this, this just really sounds like a very good preacher. (laughs) And I just giggled. I thought, not quite dad, but that's okay. (laughs) If you want to think that, but it's just, it's because I grew up in, um, An environment where spirit, where energy, whether you call it the Holy Spirit or whether you call it the Tao or whether you call it Qi, that that was a given, that that we as human beings are imbued with energy, that, that it just flows through our veins if we're living right. And so the whole process is how can we get the flow moving in a way that really works for us? And, and I trusted that because that's what I watched in him. My mother, very, very heartful, uh, kind presence as well. And so just her trust of her heart and her grounding was really a helpful thing for me. But I, I didn't really much want to be a woman when I was early, early on growing up because she was the t- typical 1950s housewife of a charismatic man, mm. right? In the shadows, stand back, let everybody walk on her. It was like... I, I knew I couldn't do that. So that was a that was my first crisis that I had to work out, how to really come into my energy as a woman and not do power in a masculine way.
1: You have an interesting passage in the book where you say uh, you want to teach people to be the largest energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right?
0: Yeah.
1: Largest pendulum. Okay.
0: Yeah. T- tell me about that. Okay. So one of the, the physics experiments that... Um, that I've read about, is that when you get a bunch of pendulums of all different sizes going in a room at different speeds and everything, that within pretty short order, they all come into synchrony with the largest pendulum in the room. So if you want to lead, or if you want to be a therapist, or you want to really be the person that's um, the thought leader in any given moment, the best way to go about laying the foundation for that is to be the biggest pendulum in the room. And that means if I come into a room, and I'm grounded, and I'm present, and I'm easy in my own skin, and I'm clear, and I'm with you, then my presence informs and opens your field, you will start to move at my ease and at my size, as opposed to, um, who, and, and by the way, we, as healthcare people have a tendency to go down to meet the level of like, in other words, if I were to give you a sound version of that, you come into my office and you've just had a terrible experience. And so you lie down on my table and you start to tell me and energetically your system is kind of going, like you're really wired. I can go and meet you there and wrap my own self around the axle. Or I can be the largest pendulum mm. in the room yeah. and help you to drop the stuff that's peripheral. So you can start to come into a state of greater ease. And we can find that self-corrective mechanism in your body quicker and with less trauma drama, if you will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How much time do you spend on your grounding practice?
0: Do you know my grounding practice? I can do a grounding practice that takes me 30 seconds to a minute. Okay. I can do a grounding practice that takes a half an hour, 40 minutes, um, and then everything in between. Yeah. I, I now have one that I do this. We call it the five breath ground and fill. Okay. And I work with lots of different the, the deal is, though, Sam, that you want people not to be imaging it in their brain, although they will have an image of it. Prefrontal cortex is always going to register, but I want them to feel it in their body. Uh, and I have to tell you, part of the inspiration for me to, to create the healing from the core curriculum was the number of really powerful healers that I studied with Now, Upledger didn't do this because he himself was so grounded. To begin with, he didn't even realize it was a problem for anybody else. But every other person I studied with would say, now, when you step up to the table, get grounded, and then put your hands on it, and that's all they would say. you would be like, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. We live in a very heady culture. And so to make the assumption that your students know how to ground, not just think about it, but to actually feel it, feel connected to the, the energy field of the earth, to really feel that the, the hurts that the earth hums at are actually very healing for the cells of our body. And some of the latest research that's being done for, by HeartMath, and then there's some decades-old research that talks about that. The earth's field, the energy field of the earth, very healing to the human system. And this has been known intuitively for millennia, But it's now in the last probably 50 years, there have been different pieces of research that have been done that have said, yeah, you connect with the earth, you go lean against that tree out there, Uh you go put a blanket down and lay on the ground, and you're going to get up feeling very different and very refreshed. There's a reason for that. So when I teach people how to ground and fill, I want them to feel it. I don't want them to be just thinking about it. It's fine if they're thinking about it. I mean, you have to put your attention somewhere. But I also want them working on feeling it because that way the, your inner energy reservoir actually fills up. Yeah. Not just a mental practice.
1: And there's some sort of integration between the zones of the body. I, I wanted to ask you, it seems that there's like almost a, a literalism to the, um, the map that you lay out in, in your book, Full Body Presence, whereas certain zones of the body correspond to emotions or uh, powers that, that one would have, do you think that's a fair way to, to characterize it? Like for, for instance, if someone is not grounded, then they're not in touch with the lower half of their body.
0: Yes, that, what, that would I mean, be true, yeah.
1: Why do you think certain parts of the body are where certain emotions or certain powers are localized?
0: Ah, okay. Then we'll have to jump to my next book, Reclaiming Your Body. Okay. In, in Full Body Presence, I go into all the basics about what it means to really live in your body. And I talk about the five principles of full body presence. And there's lots and lots of stories. But then when I finished that book, people said to me, listen, you are a trauma therapist. You do excellent work with people that have been traumatized in different ways. You've got to write about that. So that was when I began to work on reclaiming your body, healing from trauma and opening the wisdom areas of the body awakening the wisdom areas of the body. But what was interesting was when I started to really look at it, um, the wisdom that, for instance, the heart has for us is different than the wisdom. It's like the characteristic wisdom of the heart is going to be different than the gut. And it's going to be different than the pelvis. And it's going to be different than the feet and legs. And it's going to be different than the bones. Now, it's not that this isn't like hard science, but this is something that if you, even if you go to the literature in different languages, people talk about uh, the idioms that people use. Oh, my heart goes out to her. Oh God, I just, I felt chilled to the bone. Or I was left without a leg to stand on. Here, in the language, these wisdom areas are spoken about, and the understanding is there, right there, what each one of them mean. So I I culled it probably for a decade and then began to really write about how the heart, for instance, front to back, is the home of our inspiration. The gut, and, and now, by the way, the inspiration, most people think of the heart as the home of our love, the energy of love, right? We love from our hearts. I would say, yes, that's true. But love is also a part of every cell of our body, if it's healthy. So every cell has that energy in it. The heart is the place where you get really inspired to do something with your life. Mm. Ah, God, my heart's on fire for that or her or him or you know whatever it is there's an inspiration that happens in the area of the heart around what really makes our bells and whistles go off okay the gut on the other hand tells the heart whether or not this thing you're inspired by is really helpful is it right or not now it's interesting that heart math institute has recently done research that This hollow organed area here, gut and heart, actually register when something is changing around you and something's about to come into your purview before you can see it or hear it, smell it, taste it. Your gut and heart register it. And they they have data that before any of the other senses can take in something that's coming. Something deep in your gut knows and that's what I tell people. Those That gut instinct, that's a very powerful thing to trust. And in both books, I start with that story of being strangled when I was 17 and how my gut knew something was off. Mm. But I was 17. I was young, and I didn't quite get the gravity of this. I, I knew I felt slightly uneasy in my gut, but I didn't know why. Uh-huh. And I was polite. And I knew the guy, and he was like my brother, you know. So I, I didn't know, until of course I almost died in the process. But I promised my gut I would never distrust it again, uh-huh. and I haven't. I mean, I there are some things that I've really, really managed to avoid because of listening to my gut now. Wow. But the gut is also when something's really right, you know. It is so it's like that gut instinct about right is it on or is it off? So I always say to people, hey, get your heart know what you're inspired to do and then ask your gut is this right or do do, do i need to adjust it a little bit is it too grandiose or am i not dreaming big enough Uh right the gut will tell you uh dial it back sam or it'll say go for it you can do more than that
1: right So, so how can we get better at listening to the wisdom our body gives us
0: well that's that's where i i work with um the whole grounding and filling Mm. of the body. Once you start to know what the first order sensations are in your body and you can feel the flow moving through you, now you have access to this, your heart, your gut, pelvis. Pelvis is the engine of the body. I call it the black sheep of the energy field. Well, I mean, because, I mean, not here at Esalen, but certainly out in the rest of the world, people aren't in their pelvises, generally speaking. Well, men are allowed to be in their pelvises, but... Not women, by and large. Uh-huh. So, um, in the, and I'm, I'm really generalizing about our culture as a whole. So, but the pelvis is the engine. So, if you're going to have this dialogue, right? Okay, I got something I'm really inspired to do. Am I dreaming big enough? Is it, am I being grandiose? Your gut's going to say, yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, that's right on. Or let's adjust this a little bit. The next conversation I always want to have is I want to go to my pelvis and say, hmm. How's the engine doing? Am I a little depleted and I really need to dial it back or slow it down? Or is the engine of my body going, yeah, let's go, Uh right? And the feet and legs, they're another wisdom area. Now, most people think your feet and legs are a wisdom area. Yes, they are. Uh And think about this. Again, this is almost like, um, in a sense, it's like folklore. If you have an issue that you're dealing with and you're really trying to work out, um, whether or not, like what choice to make. And I tell the story about a very dear friend of mine who was going to have prostate surgery. He had prostate cancer. And he was a brilliant man. And he was overwhelmed with the data because as you may or may not know, there's a lot of research and there's a lot of conflicting data about what is the best way and the best avenue to treat prostate cancer. And so he and I were talking about it and he happened to be at a conference where I was doing a walkthrough of the body and all I did was walk them through, in their mind's eye, going out and walking and getting their feet and legs moving, their arms and hands out in nature somewhere that they really loved, and down the trail and up and over and back. By the time we got back, he knew which avenue he needed to use. And you see this again and again in the, when people write about things. They may not recognize that it's activating their feet and legs that gave them the answer. But how, how many times have you ever had something you were chewing on and you went and to took a walk... A walk Not, I didn't even think about it while you were gone. And by the time you came back, oh, I got it now. This is what I need to do. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we could say, well, maybe it happens because when you're doing cross-body movement, the right and left hemisphere of the brain start to talk to each other. But I don't know. All I know is that we've known for a millennia that if you need to make a decision, you need to digest a lot of data,
1: go take a walk. And so what would be the... Prescription, if someone is having trouble communicating with their pelvis, to with the engine of their body,
0: how can they get into communication? Well, you want to move into more embodiment, period. Feet and legs, pelvis. Pelvis, dancing, uh, good sex, um, movement of all kinds, really good body work that would help release, oftentimes there's so much trauma in the, that's locked in the pelvis. Women have a lot of trauma. Men also have trauma locked in the pelvis. So you do oftentimes need help releasing old restrictions Mm -hmm. in the pelvis. I mean, how many of us have taken a hard fall on our butts that either dislocated or broke the coccyx in the process of that fall and then therefore jammed up all of the energy there in the pelvic floor and in the sacrum? If If I ask that in any given class, half the room. raises their hand so that would actually keep people from being able to access what it feels like in their pelvis yeah because there's damage and things have closed down and tightened down and you can't feel it there's actually a story about that in reclaiming your body Mm. Uh, that now you're running on willpower but that natural engine that will fuel your juice for life can't function when it's all bound in.
1: A very popular workshop that you teach here is called oh. Healing the Pelvic Floor. I was wondering if you would talk about that.
0: Yeah. So that actually came out of my own trauma with my pelvis, with my first delivery. Um, and I it was not pretty. Let's just put it that way. And I ended up with a lot of problems that nobody was actually able to help me with. And I went, I became a detective on my own behalf and started really looking at what could I do? that could help me to regain my health, my power, uh, function. And in that process, I created this class. Initially, it was interestingly enough, you know, where it started was here at Esalen. When I was doing the work, the visiting teacher, um, a group of Esalen women came to me and said, would you just do two hours for women? And I thought about it and I thought about it and I said, yeah, sure. So we got together and and I was thinking, um, really, nobody ever offers the pelvic floor Energy without having an agenda right it's it's either a gynecologist checking out that your cervix and your vaginal canal are okay or it's somebody wanting to put the make on you or you know there's always an agenda about the pelvic floor so what if what if we just placed a hand there and offered that part of the body whatever it needed just energy wise just run energy through the pelvic floor well two hours it was only two hours with these women the most amazing responses I've ever seen. And all we did was work for a half an hour and then we all talked afterwards for a while about um, how to receive energy in that part of our bodies. And I think what we were doing unknowingly was igniting the engine of their bodies. We had women who had been raped that the trauma was coming out. We had younger women who had never really stepped into their power in that part of their body that started to feel their pelvis better we had a 75 year old grandmother that had had umpteen children that had all kinds of things shift and change in her pelvis and so it was really really fascinating to see how no matter what age group these women were no matter what their traumas had been everybody got something out of this mm-hmm. and and so it went from that i i created a weekend workshop it went to a five-day workshop now it's a seven-day workshop beautiful it is one of the most powerful things I teach, and I, I get really energized around it. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of people who in within the fabric of Esalen, who have been touched by that work and yeah. and inspired. And it's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable to do a workshop for five to seven days and have it, I mean, profoundly change your life. That's yeah. that's powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yet that regularly happens in that workshop. Yeah, yeah, and it's the one workshop I teach where I never actually get anybody saying. Oh, I just wanted to be here to be an excellent note. Nobody ever signs up for healing the (laughs) pelvic floor thinking they're just going to have an easy schmeasy week of it. You know, it's like, so yeah, because I mean, women understand, I mean, this is an area that we don't ever get held. You know, we don't get it. It doesn't get recognized. Most women don't know their anatomy correctly. Okay. That's, that's the crazy part. Um, They don't know what can go wrong. If they have problems, they don't know who to talk to. They don't know what professionals to go to so it's a really interesting piece that we offer women i have a staff person who is a pelvic floor specialist she's a pt i have a staff person who's a midwife i have two trauma therapists and then um the fifth one just makes great details happen that none of us can deal with but between the six of us we can hold a pretty powerful room for a group of women that where we do want to change what we're saying to ourselves what our anatomy looks and feels like how we move how we connect with the planet and the kind of energy our pelvises have when we get done Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a cool workshop that's great yeah
1: so what about your current work is energizing you these days what are you excited about
0: You know, I think I would say that the these six wisdom areas that I just wrote about in reclaiming your body Mm. are one that I I have a lot of fun with. I just did this exercise with my month group, month long group uh, yesterday. And if you like, we can I can run through it with you for Uh, your for your listeners.
1: I would absolutely love that.
0: Okay, okay. So um, for your listeners, if you would, um, I'm going to ask you to invite your curiosity on board. So let your judgmental mind stay out of the room, but invite your curiosity and take an easy breath. And just settle back and in your chair, whatever you're, is supporting you right now, just let yourself settle as you breathe. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a guided tour of your wisdom areas. And we're going to ask you, I'm I'm going to ask you some questions. And I'm going to, to ask you just to notice your initial hit. Don't think about it too much. Just what is your original hit? It might be a thought. You might get a visual. You might have a felt sense or just a knowing about it. However it comes into you. Let the answers come from your body, if you will. So as you breathe, just let yourself breathe right on down into your heart. Hmm. And you're going to ask your heart, what am I most inspired by in my world right now? Yeah. And notice what comes up. What, What gets your heart on fire? What... Make sure bells and whistles go off. And just let it come on out. Just let yourself see it, feel it, sense it. So this can be a, uh, something as, as huge as starting your own company, writing a book. It can be something as important as raising a child or being there for a child in your life that doesn't have the parenting they need. It can be regaining your health and recovering your sense of direction in your life. So you can be inspired by just about anything, but most of the time, what we're inspired to do. We'll have something involved with it that has to do with loving yourself and loving the world around you in some way and allowing your gifts to come forward. Whatever you came here to do at a soul level often resides here in your heart in the inspiration that we have for living. So just notice what that feels like. And as you feel this inspiration, And it starts to flesh out like details of it. Allow your awareness to begin to include your belly, your gut underneath your heart. So breathing into your belly and heart together And asking your belly, asking your gut, that gut instinct, is this inspiration that's coming to mind today, this inspiration that's arising, is this the right thing for me right now? Yeah. And the way that I look at this is you can ask yourself, gosh, is this inspiration, is this dream I'm reaching for too big and grandiose? Or is it I'm not reaching high enough? What's right for you right now? What part of this inspiration, if it isn't quite right, needs to shift and change? And let your gut, your belly, and your heart talk to each other until the inspiration comes into alignment, into congruence with your instinctual gut knowing. Let that conversation get carried on without your head intervening with what's reasonable or what's logical. Let your gut and your heart talk. And when you get that inspiration and that gut knowing into congruence, when they feel like they're in agreement, then's the moment when you want to drop your awareness and begin to include your pelvis. So your hip bones, your pelvic floor, your lower belly, like all the way down, right down into what I call the engine of your body. The pelvis has long been known in the Vedic tradition, in the Chinese medicine tradition, as the one of the entry doors of a tremendous amount of energy for the body, for your body, mind, spirit to utilize. This is your engine, if you will. There. Yeah. There you go. And let yourself feel your pelvis. You might want to rock back and forth a little bit on your ischial tuberosities on your sitting bones. You can if you can feel your pelvis and you just drop right in. Ask your pelvis, okay, engine, do we have enough energy for this beautiful inspiration that the gut and the heart are agreed upon? Is there enough energy available to make this happen yeah and notice what answer you get sometimes people will be high on inspiration but they're not really taking good enough care of themselves or they have just come through a really deep crisis time and their engine is a little low and it's not there it's just not there at that moment in the amount that's needed to follow through so your your engine your pelvis might say ah dial it back a little let's take this more slowly we're still recovering from that injury or we're still recovering from helping that loved one make it to the other side and you know helping them transition out whatever you've been through raising a family and you're a little depleted really give your pelvis give the engine of your body your ear And hear whether you have the chi to make this happen. Or whether you need to just adjust it a little bit. Or perhaps, quite honestly, your pelvis might be saying, Yeah, let's go. That's so exciting. we got lots of energy. So just notice what you notice here in your pelvis. And is there a quickening, an automatic, Yeah, okay, we can do this. And now you have your pelvis your gut and your heart, all in alignment when you get that kind of agreement. Yeah. Yeah. And the wisdom area that we didn't talk about earlier that is probably one of the most powerful ones is the wisdom of our bones, So take this knowing, take this agreement that you've gotten between the pelvis, the gut, and the heart. Drop back into your spine or deep into your hip bones. But the spine is probably the easiest place. Our bones are the sturdiest, clearest connective tissue we have. They're deep. It's like the deep chambers of who you are. So take this inspiration. Take your instinctual knowing about it. Take the engine's feedback about its capacity and drop deep into the chambers of your bones. Often people will feel very quiet. If there's any kind of emotional muddiness in the decision-making process, It'll start to clear. So the two characteristics that the bones give us, the gifts, are clarity and steadiness. And as you feel that clarity and that steadiness, add it into the mix of what your pelvis has told you, your gut, your heart. And let's go take a walk with this information. Allow your awareness to drop down into your legs, thighs, knees, feet, calves. And imagine yourself taking a walk with this new inspiration, with your gut sense of the rightness of it, with the ignition of the pelvis, clarity of the bones and activate this inspiration if you will get it into motion it's as though you're metabolizing all of the data that you've received from the rest of the wisdom areas of your body in getting your feet and legs moving in this imaginary walk and it's great if you are listening to this podcast and you're out walking great let your hands and arms swing Breathe the air, the sunlight or the moonlight, wherever you are in your mind's eye walking. (sighs) Yeah, letting everything move in your body together. That lovely cross-body movement that we do when we're walking. And with that walk... What begins to happen is that the prefrontal cortex lights up. The right and left hemispheres of the brain start to activate and talk to each other. And the uh, sixth wisdom area of the body, the prefrontal cortex in the brain, and the areas right, in, right there in front and slightly behind it, begin to strategize or make maps, make meaning out of this deep, Inspiration that's coming out of your heart and the rest of your body. So, not only is the plan being made, but it's being activated, it's being put into action. And you actually can feel exactly what you want to do and how to execute it, how to make it all happen. And your brain is now collaborating with the deep wisdom of the body on all levels. And I call this integrated decision-making. Not just what is logical and reasonable, that's important, but everything else as well. Yeah. And as you do this, as you notice and track what you're thinking, what is coming across to you, where you want to take it, Make notes in your mind. And as you bring it to completion, thank your whole body for speaking up and talking with you and dancing with you in this way with all of your wisdom areas. Yeah. And enjoy. Isn't that fascinating? When I, when I do this in a room and I say, well, what did you notice? And everyone's inspirations are different. And it not one isn't better than the other, or, you know, a bigger one isn't better than a smaller one. But all the diff- what the different areas of the body say mm. is just amazing. You know, like the, the pelvis could be saying, ha, ha, wait, 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 you know, you need to slow this down. Or um, the bones make it really get you so clear about what you're doing that you get more excited. Right?
1: Yes.
0: And so it's, it's really fascinating how we think about the brain as being the king or the queen and that everything that we do in our bodies is, comes from here in the brain. But that's just reversed. Actually, particularly when you look at the new neuroscience, the prefrontal cortex, a tremendous amount of what it does is reading signals from the body, from the heart, from the gut. And I think as they do the research, they're going to find it all over the place. They're listening to signals from all the different parts of us. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. I just have a couple more questions. Sure. I, I was wondering if you might speak about um, your experience with Esalen, why the place has meant something to you, uh, and why you continue to teach here and how that is mm-hmm. for you.
0: I consider Esalen my second home. In fact, my friends in Virginia already always say, you're not going to stay out there, are you? Because I come for long periods of time when I come. It's a place for me, Esselin. The land, the ocean, the gardens, the people, the food, the baths, the bodywork staff are so replenishing for me that I just would I would never stop coming if given a choice. I consider it such an honor and a blessing that I get to come here and teach. I live on the East Coast. I live right outside of Washington D.C. It's, it's a tough place. I mean, it's got a lot of speed to it. It's got a lot of traffic. It's got, it has beauty. Virginia, the countryside in Virginia is beautiful. But this place has offered me a counterweight or a counterbalance to what I deal with at home that puts everything back in perspective. And there are many different circumstances that have happened for me here that have really helped me to get clarity in my own life back home, rather than starting to believe that the rat race back there is all there is. I've raised my children here every summer. You know, my son now works here on staff. So, you know, it's, it it is a place of, of deep joy for me. Yeah.
1: What are your favorite self-care practices? What's something? What's one or two things that you do for yourself to replenish and ground you?
0: Okay. So one of the reasons I love Esalen is you have so many hills. And the air is so clear and clean and full of negative ions. So what I love, like when I get done with five, six weeks here, my legs, because I love to walk. One of my self-care pieces is I love to walk. And I the first week... I've been coming here long enough now that I don't even pay attention to my knees and legs. They complain and moan another hill. By the second week, I'm practically bounding up the hills and my legs are stronger. My whole cardiovascular system is cooking. And I do that at home as well, except that the heat, like at this time of the year is just miserable. So walking, huge. Um, The baths are a wonderful self-care process. Being in community where people, their, their, their mission is to help people get meaning and healing in life. I'm an extrovert. So being in community is a huge mm. bonus for me mm. that I I do have a I, I create community wherever I go. So I do have a good community at home. But it's nothing like eating together in the lodge three meals a day, um, soaking in the tubs together in the evening and having long conversations. Um, getting to walk the trails, sit in the gardens, you know, whatever. So those are being in community, walking, eating healthy food that I don't have to cook, I, to me, is I, that's great. I'm really in, in wonderful. The other thing that I really love is I love to sing. And you know how frequently those guitars get taken off the wall in the lodge and somebody strikes up a song and whoever's around just starts to sing. So that's also a really lovely thing for me. I love that.
1: Just a, a last question for you. How do you see your work changing or developing? What does the next 10 years look like for you in, in the work that you do?
0: I would say one of the things that happened for me when after I wrote my first book 10 years ago was I'd always just been a, an oral tradition person. I, I teach, right? Gift of gab. That was when I realized I could write. And it was hard. First book was grueling, took me a decade. Second one, not so bad, and I have about three books lined up in my brain, um, and I think that that writing and teaching from what I'm going to write about yeah. is a piece. One of the books is going to be on uh, narcissism. Really? Yes, and the price we're paying in our culture right now for narcissism, and particularly the price that people in healthcare or caring professions play. In getting wrapped up in narcissistic relationships and not realizing it, and the drain that it puts on the culture, and the drain that it puts on people that really are good, full-hearted people in the beginning of a relationship. So that's a, that's a piece I'm going to write about death and dying, and the process of helping people have a sacred death, like have a death that has dignity and has the grace in it that I think we were meant to have in the dying process. So a book about death and dying, I've had a number of experiences across the course of my life that have been very, very helpful that I think would be helping people. Um, And then there's one more book about uh, what's mine to do. And that's a book that many, many people, when they're struggling with having boundaries, they'll say, well, what, is, is this mine? Should I do this? Should I do this? Or is it not mine? How to listen to that inner voice. That one will just be a short book, but mm-hmm. I think it'll be called What's Mine to Do. Yes. So. How can our listeners find out more about you, your teachings, and your writings? Well, I do teach here at Esalen every year, the Pelvic Floor Workshop. So if you go to the esalen.org um, website, you can find me. I also have a website of my own called healingfromthecore.com healingfromthecore.com. And at that website, there everything that I do and everything that I teach is listed there somewhere. And so it's just a massive endeavor. Just keep looking because it's there somewhere. And everything from mentoring advanced cranial students to when I teach internationally, where I'm teaching. I just taught in China and Hong Kong and Australia last month. Um, and that was great fun. I'd never been to those places and it was a lot of it was a blast. So, my travel schedule, the classes, what what's involved, every class has a description that can tell you exactly what they are. My books, the audio, I have a lot of audio downloads for people. We have a free report on the website. I have a blog called Presence Matters. And actually, I've been blogging from here, and uh, yeah, had some great pictures of the month, the last month, on there, and on my last post. So lots of stuff there, and a lot of it is no cost, and and then you're, you know, you can get information about what does cost and how much it costs and how to go about doing it. So okay,
1: Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldine Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please find us on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, take a second to rate us and write a review. You can also find all of our episodes at esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. Until next time, be well.